970 WAMD Aberdeen and this is the Harford Edge, keeping you on the cutting edge of what's new in Harford County and beyond. I'm co-host Leslie Greenlee-Smith from the Harford County Public Library and that is Bob Mumby. The Harford Edge is brought to you each week by your Harford County Public Library. Today we'll be speaking with Lieutenant Colonel Jody Brown, Commander of Kirk U.S. Army Health Clinic, Colonel Donald, Donald Kimbler, Deputy Chief, Chemical Casualty Care Division, USA MRICD, and Rick Scavetta, U.S. Army CECOM and Aberdeen Proving Ground Community Relations Officer. Wow, that was a mouthful. I sure <laughs> and we have a room full. And you don't realize how much I, <laughs> I condensed <know>. that. <laughs> I know. Thank you for that, Bob. Good morning. <laughs> good morning. And good morning, folks. Thank you for coming. Good morning. Good morning. Um, what is USA... M-R-I-C-D. And do we call you Colonel? Uh, yes, Colonel is okay. fine. Uh, USA M-R-I-C-D is the U.S. Army uh, Medical Research Institute for Chemical Defense. Okay. So. Um, wow. We have a lot of power in this room. Yes, we and do. And a lot of experience. Mm -hmm. um, what we start with, and you're welcome to join in, is our courtesy minute. Like, we get annoyed. We're not perfect, but we get annoyed when, when people lack courtesy. Uh, in the movie theater, on the road. And we're not perfect, but we like to talk about it. Today we're going to talk about the utter lack of respect that people have for others. And for the utter, utter unawareness they have of what their actions and words do to others. It happened again this morning. Tell me, tell me. They had a road crew. Okay. They were repairing a road, so they have the the men or women who have the slow and stop signs. Um, motorists cursing at them, like clearly they mustered everyone out right. there and sure. decided that they were going to slow everyone down and ruin their day. <laughs> like it was their choice. I saw someone last night in a restaurant treating the server like, and I can imagine being army folks. It must. Be extra galling to you to see this lack of respect because you, you you know you're taught about protocol and respect and what it can do to save lives and to streamline things or mm -hmm. they say salute the the rank not the uh, not the, someone not the said the, not the yeah. weasel behind it <laughs> 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 absolutely um, but people who they'll just stop when they're in a supermarket and they're on the phone they'll just stop and not warn anybody. So anyway, that was a very general one, but I just wanted to say... But just be aware of, especially going into the holidays, it's important to just take an extra minute and be kind. It's so much easier to be kind than it is to be rude. Yeah. Hopefully and this is the last week of that, because December 1st starts Advent. We know Santa Claus is watching. Naughty right, and nice Rick, coming out. Very good. Okay. <laughs> very good. Okay, well, we'll go with that, Rick. I think <laughs> we have to. We have to try. Um, okay, let's do some trivia. All right. We have a lot of brain in this room. Okay, this one is odd, but I had to throw it in. Which fingernail grows the fastest? Oh. I've actually heard this question before, too. Oh, my too. gosh, good. I thought it was a pinky. Uh, if I had to guess, it would be the, the fifth finger. Yeah. Rick? I was going to say the ring finger because yes. there's something where they say put the ring finger on the ring because it's like somehow directed closest to the heart. So the heart okay. would make the fingernail grow more, but that's just a guess. Well, from your body language, those aren't right. I was going to say pinky. No. 
Is uh, the thumb? No. Middle finger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good job, Johnny. Third time, time's a tr- charm. And there was like th- three other answers that we could go to. That's I like... That was interesting. I'll remember that forever and won't remember important stuff. Bob and I talk about that all the time. Yeah, too. I like the old read between the lines yeah. thing, right? Exactly. Okay, this one's a little bit easier. At what temperature does water boil? 100 degrees, 100 degrees Celsius. Celsius. Yep. Okay. Yep. Yep. Spent a lot of time in Europe. 212 Fahrenheit. <laughs> yeah, 212 Fahrenheit. <laughs> By, well, two things on that. Uh, okay. I'm going to, you know, um, why Ray Bradbury's book, Fahrenheit 51, 451, that was, a question last was week. called that. That's the temperature that paper burns. Correct. It's the paper, temperature of which oh. paper combusts. It ignites, sure. Ignites. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was answered by Phil. Who is here also in the room? <laughs> Good That's job, trivia king. I yeah. know. <laughs> and I, ha- I have another one for you. Um, the the answer to this question is Myanmar, Burma, okay. Liberia, and the United States. What is the question? That's a hard one, Bob. What are the only three countries not on the metric system? Interesting. Oh, really? Myanmar, Liberia, and the U.S. Mm-hmm. The only three. Well, we tried it, I know, when I was in school to go to the metric. It was a disaster for Just my teachers work. and for us. No, there, I don't were, know there why. was a gas station in West Virginia where <laughs> Pete, someone started selling gas by the liter, so the line was like a half a mile oh, long. Oh, no. <laughs> and then people realized it was, they were paying more per gallon <laughs> that price per liter. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's actually very clever. Uh, yeah, it is. Well, Brilliant. I can understand Liberia because Liberia was founded by the United States in the early right. 1830s. Well, why Myanmar? Where, why didn't they get on the system? Jump on the bandwagon. Don't know, but they're, um, they're pledging that they're working on it. I know that I, I spent a lot of time in Europe, so all my stuff is still in kilometers on the car. I even keep it there. Okay. So when I go over to Jones Junction, you know, to do an oil change, uh-huh. like, how many miles do you have? I'm like, let me get my calculator out. <laughs> I'm still in At kilometers. At least you can do it. At least you can do the math. Well, there was an interesting story about the person. There's still one person left, two people in the metric, think metric program that I think under President Ford, there was a, there was a major initiative to start it. And... And people were just so resistant to it. He tells stories about it. he was at Costco. A woman was saying, "I do. I'm not never going to do anything metric. I like it the way it is." And she was buying tires. That uh, oh, you know. <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> oh, all right. Alrighty. Who wrote Julius Caesar, Macbeth, and Hamlet? Shakespeare. William Shakespeare. Correct. I have oh. not had enough coffee. <laughs> I'm thinking I should know this. <laughs> I've read them. <laughs> I forget people's names I met yesterday. So <laughs> yes. But he's got a good brain for uh, trivia. All right. What did the crocodile swallow in Peter Pan? A clock. A clock. Good job, guys. Yeah. We're on a roll. Wow. All I right. I, thought it was, I was going to say he swallowed Captain Hook. <laughs> His hand. <laughs> His Ultimately. Hand. Originally, I think that's what he did. <laughs> Who did Lady Diana Spencer marry? Um, oh, Prince Charles. Prince Charles. Yes. Which German city is famous for the perfume it produces? Um, well, if you say it in German, it's Köln, but we use the French one, and the name is Cologne. Good job. Ah. Wow. Says the person. Which closely with a question we have for the Colonel coming up. <laughs> ah. Who did Prince Renier of Monaco marry? What American? Grace Kelly. 
Yes. Oh. America's woman. Um, Philadelphia, Monica, born and bred. In what year did the first world war start? 1914. In unison. <laughs> the assassination of Archduke Ferdinand by... Gavrilo Princip of the Black Hand <laughs> on June 28, 1914 in Sarajevo. Okay, now you're just showing off, right? It's a walk-in encyclopedia. <laughs> Those damn anarchists. <laughs> uh, all right, what did Joseph Priestley discover in 1774? The atom? The... No. Starts with the vowel, though. Oxygen? Yep. Ooh. Yes, so right. he, he did Bill, it. Bill, you are going to be on my team if I'm ever in a trivia. And jo Joseph Priestley lived next to a beer factory, and okay. he and he found that the good air coming off was the of what Product, they uh, the yeast made the that. yeast yeah. was oxygen. Really? Now you're just showing off, DJ. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are awesome at trivia. Okay. I like that. We're going to end it with this one. Who lived at 221B Baker Street in London? Sherlock, Sherlock Holmes. Holmes. Correct. That was fabulous. And Dr. Yes. Watson for a little while, I think, too, <laughs> until he got married and moved out or something. But yeah, they were bachelors. Yeah. <laughs> if you go to London now, there's lines of tourists outside 221B Baker. And, of course, it's fictional. So I was going to say, who lives there? Those poor people. It's, it's amazing. It's a tourist thing, you know, so... Um, I, was, I have one or two more. All um, right. No subject. Nothing, nothing, nothing connected. Monica Lewinsky is 45 years old. Can't believe that. Wow. Seattle, their high of rainfall is 10 inches less than what we've had this, wow. this year in Baltimore. Really? That's wow. interesting. See, I, wow. I thought that, look it up. We've had 65 inches. Seattle's high was 55 and their average is 37. Wow. Which is why I think they say the license plate should say, you know, the incessant nagging drizzle state. It's not a heavy rain. <laughs> 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 Did you ever see that? The, um, the suggested license plate names no. should be on states like, oh, you know, Colorado, fir first of the square states and ah. um, Alabama, thank God we're next to Mississippi. <laughs> <laughs> Maryland, do you remember? Um, where slackjaw yokels and government uh, technocrats can get along. Who says slackjaw yokels and That's government awesome. technocrats can't get along? <laughs> That's awesome. Or and, you just say, admit it, you like Old Bay. Yeah. <laughs> that would yeah. be a good one. And mm -hmm. Illinois was, please don't pronounce the yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, and... Um, the last one is rest in peace, Stephen Hillenberg. Does anyone know who Stephen Hillenberg is? The uh, movie director, wasn't he? He was the creator of SpongeBob. Yeah. Oh, yeah. SpongeBob. Yeah. He yeah. passed oh, yeah. away the other day from ALS. Yeah, um, right. Diagnosed March, less than a year yeah, and a half less ago. Than a year. And uh, SpongeBob was was great. You know, this cynical. These times, he was. Um, uh, it was. It was just a delight. So, thank you for. Bringing all of that to us, Mr. Hillenberg. Um, all righty. Are we going to do some local news or are we jumping right in? Let's jump, let's go to break and go okay. jump right in because we have a real lot to talk we about. We'll do, do news in the third block. All right. Well, we're going to take a little break and when we come back, we'll be talking with U.S. Army Lieutenant Colonel Jody Brown, Colonel Don Donald Kimbler. Why can't I not say Donald? And Rick Scavetta.
Lippman will visit the Abington Library on December 18th at 6.30 p.m. for a free evening of fun for the entire family. She will read her new children's book, Liza Jane and the Dragon. Following the reading, children will enjoy a special craft while adults participate in a book discussion and Q&A with Lippman. Just in time for the holidays, her children's book will be available for sale as well as some of her other amazing adult books. Have your photo taken with the author and get your book signed by her as well. Registration for this event is encouraged at hcplonline.org. We hope to see you there. Have a small project at home that you've been putting off? Need some help but don't need a large contractor? For more than seven years, D.R. Curry Contracting, Inc. in Aberdeen has been offering residential and light commercial renovations, remodeling, and maintenance to clients in the Hartford County area. Their professional and efficient staff work on installations of windows, doors, siding, kitchen and bath remodels, and more. Customer service and satisfaction is of paramount importance in D.R. Curry Contracting, Inc.'s continued success, no matter the budget. It's time to get that project done. Call 410-272-8779. That's 410-272-8779. Let D.R. Curry, Inc. make your dream renovation become a reality. Welcome back. I'm co-host Leslie Greenlee-Smith from the Hartford County Public Library, and that is Bob Mumby. And this is the Hartford Edge. We're so delighted today to have Lieutenant Colonel Jody Brown, commander of the Kirk U.S. Army Health Clinic, Colonel D.J. Kimbler, Deputy Chief, Ca Chemical Casualty Care Division, USA MRICD, which we identified earlier, and Rick Scavetta, USA Army Communications Electronics Command and Aberdeen Proving Ground Community Relations Officer. All in the studio with us today. Welcome, everyone. Thanks thank for you. Having thanks us. for having us. Yes. Thank you for coming on. And uh, first of all, thank you for your service. Absolutely. Uh, e even you, Rick. Yep. Mm -hmm. And Phil. <laughs> Um, and you're all um, uh, also your military spouses and have family members. Your husband is the is deployed. Yes, Lieutenant he is. Colonel. He's in so, Afghanistan. Um, I'm sure you never get used to that. And uh, thank you to everyone out there. Incredible sacrifice and and dedication. Uh, we were going to do the biographies, but um, there's a lot here, so we're just going to work them in and. Uh, We'll start with you, Lieutenant Colonel uh, Jody Brown. Uh, you've been in the Army since 99, uh, in the Nurse Corps since 05. You've been stationed at uh, Tripler Army Medical Center in Hawaii, 25th Infantry Brigade Nurse to the 2nd Brigade Combat Team. You've been at Walter Reed, Fort Meade, and here at APG. You're a Family Nurse Practitioner, Practitioner, Bachelor of Science in Nursing from the University of New Hampshire, a Master's of Nursing specializing family nurse practitioner from the Uniformed Services University of the Health Science and Doctorate of Nursing Practice from Chatham University. You're currently the commander of the Kirk U.S. Army Health Clinic on Aberdeen Proving Ground. You're married to Stephen Brown of Seattle, Washington. Steve is also a lieutenant colonel, so now you've I outrank him, though. Oh! <laughs> okay. You hear that, Steve? He's, he saluted me a few times. <laughs> oh, okay. Awesome. Now, what, what, what is it now, now about um, 7 o'clock in Afghanistan? Is he, he is eight and a half hours ahead. Okay. So he's still at work because they're very long hours, so he's okay. still there. He's in the Army Functional Area Branch Force Management is currently deployed to Afghanistan and then so tell us about how 
how this became a vocation for you, um, uh, first of all, um, being uh, first of all in the service, be on the medical end. As far as coming to this role, to joining, uh, joining, to enlisting, uh, to becoming involved on the medical end. As f as far as just. So why did you join? Why yeah why yeah, yeah. why oh. did you join the army and why are, are you on the on the on the medical? Side? I see. Yes. So I. Uh, Joined because of my dad. He uh, was a National Guardsman, so I had seen him in uniform, you know, it was once a month, and uh, we spit shine in his boots because that's, you know, what you did back then. He taught me how to do it uh, when I actually was in ROTC, and I thought it would be a great way to see the world. I was, uh, you know, small town gal and went to the University of New Hampshire and never really left uh, the state until I went into the military and just thought it would be a great way to serve my country. And then uh, when I was in the military, I had an opportunity to uh, go into the nurse corps and I just always love to give back and to help the community, help the people, help our soldiers and so I've been very fortunate to be around great leaders that have mentored me and helped me throughout the years to be where I am today um, and you know being at Aberdeen Proving Ground it's such an amazing installation and uh, just 22,000 workforce employees all with a smile on their face every day and it's really great to to be on that installation well that's great i mean i often we often lose sight <clears throat> of what we have here we have one of the biggest probably one of the biggest corporations in the country right, right next door it was not to mention uh what what duties and functions are um now colonel um donald kimbler uh I don't know where to start on yours as well. Let's just say that you, you were, you're from Fort Wayne, sir. son of a soldier, uh, sir. so you've lived on multiple Army bases throughout um, your life. Uh, you enlisted uh, in the Army National Guard in 1988 as a lab technician, yes, sir. Uh, then continued on to active duty as an infantryman. You attended Norfolk State University on a green to gold uh, ROTC scholarship. Uh, graduating as a distinguished military graduate with uh, Bachelor of Science in Nursing. Um, uh, you received an Army scholarship to attend the U.S. Army graduate program in anesthesia, MS in nursing anesthesia at the uh, University of Texas, uh, Medical College of Georgia, Ph.D. in neuroscience. Um, uh, You've studied inflammatory process and traumatic brain injuries, commissioned a second lieutenant in the nurse corps in 96, and served continuously in many roles. Um, and you are the deputy chief of the Chemical Casual Casualty Care Division. Yes, sir. Tell us, um, tell us about the Chemical Casualty Care Division. So the Chemical Casualty Care Division <coughs> is a small division within the U.S. Army Medical Research Institute for Chemical Defense. What, the, what my division does is we are the education and training branch. We also do some con consultation for forces that are deployed uh, that need information. But generally, we uh, train the DOD uh, to include Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, and some of the uh, White House staff and some of the uh, FBI people that need, uh, need training 
in the medical and field management of chemical and biological casualties. So uh, we make sure that the DOD is ready if there were ever to be a chemical or biological attack. My, um, I always, uh, actually, I, I think I want to corner you after this with a few <laughs> questions. My, my, my grandfather was an ambulance driver in World War I. Actually, I brought his, um, his discharge. He was in the Muse, um, and he was exposed to mustard agent, and he died when he was 36 from pneumonia. Is that a, would that be a normal... So yes, in uh, mustard agent uh, was used originally. The first chemical used in uh, World War One was chlorine. It was used at the Second Battle of Ypres, and then as technology developed and they used masks to defend against the chlorine attacks, the Germans started using mustard to defeat the masks. So uh, there were probably close to a million uh, chemical casualties. Uh, the majority of those mustard casualties. Uh, mustard, if you were going to die early, it was going to be from uh, some sort of respiratory thing that, uh, like uh, your vocal cords shutting and not able to breathe. That mm. was rare, but that was if it was an early death. Late deaths from mustard were either from pneumonia or from sepsis, and that was about 5 uh, to 5% uh, if they were protected and about 11% if they were unprotected. Wow. Well, he was 20 when it when it happened, uh, um, Verdun is, uh, mm -hmm. uh, and I, it's all in there. But I, I, he was 36 when he died in 1936, but I, I remember my father telling me, because my father was 13, of a woman that came with three children and said, your husband um, took my husband off the battlefield. Um, awesome. And these kids are here because of that. Oh, and my father used story. to say, his father said, well, I was a mechanic more than an ambulance <laughs> driver because right. you can imagine in 1918, the, the vehicles and the roads. Right. And, right. Uh, so anyway, so wow. very interesting. And Rick Scavetta, um, we all know Rick. Rick, Rick does, a, Rick does a, a great job connecting the, this great institution to our community and really helping highlight everything that APG uh, and his folks do for the community. Um, you're from Hartford, Connecticut. Mm -hmm. um, you, of you, you've only been here for two years, mm -hmm. public affairs specialist. You oversee community relations at APG. Um, you joined the Army in 91. You were a tank. We, we, uh, what was that, a tank guy, mechanized? Uh, I was a, a crew member on an M1 tank. Uh, I ended up being a, a gunner, and a, a, I served in every position, actually, uh, over the course of the, my time uh, on the tank. And you were also a newspaper and radio journalist. was. Worked at Stars and Stripes in Iraq and Afghanistan. Masters in international relations from uh, University of Oklahoma, and a bachelor's in communication from Central Connecticut. Um, you work, uh, you report to General Taylor, um, and you coordinate activities on the federal, state, and local level. Um, and you live in Bel Air with your teenage daughter and a 90-pound white German shepherd. <laughs> yep. Do a lot of hiking here in Hartford County with the, with the dog and, and the teenager. Uh, those German shepherds, they're, they're special. So let's talk about um, uh, the main reason 
we're here. We, on December 11th, we have coming up a National Opioid Community Summit. It's the second one of its kind. It's being, or, and why don't you tell us, Rick, just the, the broad strokes on what it is and, and how it's, um, what its genesis was. And Sure. Um, probably about a year and a half ago, a little more than a year and a half ago, uh, General, Major General Randy Taylor came to Aberdeen Proving Ground. And one of my things is, is I introduce him to a lot of the local leadership. Absolutely. Uh, so we were at an event uh, at Rockfield Manor up in Bel Air, okay. and I was introducing him to some local leadership. And the, the topic on the local leaders' minds at that time, and, and still is, is the opioid crisis. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was Delegate Susan McComas okay. uh, who had approached him and uh, had discussed um, the possibility of the Army sharing some information about working dogs. Um, there's a concern that working dogs in, in the sheriff's uh, department, when they're in these crime scenes, may be exposed to fentanyl or, car, or okay. carfentanyl. And um, is there anything that the Army had by way of information? Um, in, the, in the following weeks, General Taylor was probably approached a couple other times by other local leaders talking about other aspects of the opioid crisis. Of course, um, at the time, this is when, and the sheriff's office still does this, the numbers were rising on the board's. Um, we all see it. Those of us on APG drive by these things as yeah. well. Um, and General Taylor said, you know, we're going we're gonna to do something about this. Uh, so that's when he engaged me and some of the other local leaders on post. How can we bring some folks together onto APG? Not like we're the lead proponent of this, but what we are is sort of a neutral ground mm -hmm. exactly. for, for a lot of different agencies. The state, the municipal, the county, the state level... Um, federal level, um, and where can we, you know, come together and share ideas and maybe come up with some solutions uh, locally and statewide um, to combat the crisis? Uh, that's great because, and when, just as you're talking, realizing the resources that are available within the army, uh, not the least of which is because certainly veterans. Um, I, I, the number that I heard was that the VA. Um, treats uh, over 60,000 um, veterans for some kind of a, uh, a, a addiction or a, a abuse um, a situation. That's, that, that's a, a fact that I heard as well. The other thing that I think was pretty striking to me, and we've talked about this as we've developed last year's summit and then this year's summit, is uh, here in Hartford County, you know, we had two what were thought to be accidental exposures Right. To, to fentanyl right. Right. Uh, in a crime scene. And when you talk to the guys in the sheriff's department, you know, they're in a crime scene. This right. is an investigation for them. It can be a dangerous situation. And then they brush against something on a table or a couch, mm -hmm. and it's an unknown substance. And when they explained this to me, it felt to me a lot like when, you know, I've been a soldier on the battlefield. Mm -hmm. It felt like when you're in, a, a, you know, in combat. And if a soldier comes into contact with an unknown substance in, um, you know, overseas, there's protocols and tactics that are in place that we learn on how we react to it. And, and probably Colonel Kimmler can explain it better, but when I, when I saw that, when I heard that that was happening, it seemed so similar to what soldiers go through. Right. And the experts on who put that together, Colonel Kimmler and his colleagues, are, are the ones who help us with those, the, the research and the tactics and the protocols for that. Yeah, General Taylor's quote was, uh, as chemicals have been built for good use over time, they've also been used for harm. Experts on our team know how to handle that. 
Um, talk about that, uh, Colonel, um, if you can for a second, as yeah. far as... Uh, so, as, as Rick was saying, that uh, when we heard that, you know, working dogs or police officers or first responders would come in contact with unknown substances uh, and not know, and then they go down and they go to the hospital... Well, that's the same thing that, uh, as Rick said, would happen on the battlefield if you come into contact with something. The only difference is that uh, in CCCD, we teach people how to deal with that, how, uh, how to identify the substance, how to decontaminate themselves so that they can stop the burn and uh, limit the exposure potential. Uh, so when we see those things, we say, yeah, those are things that we can, uh, we can address. And we can address them in the same way that we would in the in the army or in the DOD and we teach we teach the in the military which gloves to use the right way to put stuff on and the right way to take something off because it may not seem important to a police officer who has a bulletproof vest mm -hmm. uh, and a pair of nitrile gloves well his bulletproof breast his bulletproof vest protects him day to day, he knows about that. Mm -hmm. He puts some gloves on, goes to the crime scene, and then he may re reach underneath his gloves to pull them off, just like we would a normal pair of gloves. Well, maybe that's not the right way, and we can teach them a better way to do it so they don't cross-contaminate themselves. And because I imagine being on the front line, whether it's in a field of battle, which you all have so much experience with, and immediate trauma treatment and triage so you don't have the luxury of staring or thinking um i remember i got hurt once playing football and my brother-in-law who's, who's a surgeon said you just get him to a trauma center don't take him to bayonne hospital because they don't he, we don't want anybody staring and then going in the back room and having getting on the phone <laughs> yes, <I do. laughs> but so talk about that because a first responder uh just as a soldier uh, uh, someone treating a soldier. I mean, there could be an active uh, engagements going on. You have the person you're bringing back with the Narcan often can be violent because their high has been taken from them, right. um, or whatever the case may be. You have so that it's really important that that the first responders and the, understand and don't have to worry about these other things uh figuring out how to protect themselves right and that through the first uh <clears throat> conference that we had the first summit that we had a lot of those issues were brought up because the first statement that came from uh a medical uh uh, organization was that uh, don't worry about it because it takes a long time for fentanyl to absorb through your skin well, that's good, but we were realizing that, uh, that it's not just that they contact it on their skin. Mm -hmm. They brush against it, and it gets aerosolized, right. and they have to breathe it. Right. So uh, we work closely with the APG uh, emergency uh, response folks, the uh, EMS, and we allow them uh, to come into our classes and we'll teach them the same thing that we teach everyone else. And then if they have questions, which they always mm -hmm. do, we'll, uh, we'll modify what we're teaching to fit their situation. 
That way, the, when uh, they go out to see something, it's not their first time seeing it. Mm -hmm. Their first time with live uh, problems is not their first time actually dealing with it. So they have that base of experience and they're more confident in, in what they do. And if I can add one of the, uh, with this summit, one of the working groups uh, on our treatment is our chief of EMS, Mike Slayman, and he has worked very closely with Colonel Kimbler's team. And so bringing that expertise and knowledge to the EMS in the community and that partnership and sharing best practices is exactly the kind of outcome that we want to achieve. And the summit is a forum to be able to do that. So it, on those those points, and uh, maybe Rick, you want to handle this, uh, take this one, but the general has clearly uh, uh, been very involved since he got here on this, on bringing these tremendous resources to bear uh, in, in partnership with the community um, and uh, different institutions. Talk about that. Um, he, certainly what he's been able to... Uh, to do is in terms of engaging great companies like Lidos in their support, their financial support for, th for things like this. Talk a little bit about that, the, the General's commitment to that. Yeah, sure. Um, well, Major General Taylor has said several times that his first priority um, as the senior commander at APG is the workforce. It's the protection of the workforce. Mm -hmm. It's the security of the installation. Um, so when you have something like the opioid crisis that's right outside of our gates, mm -hmm. only getting worse year by year um, with, with no solution or no end in sight, um, as the commander, what he's looking to do is, is, is make sure that our workforce is, well, first of all, happy and healthy. We need mm -hmm. folks coming in. You know, we develop the, the research and design and, and the technology um, that's going to help our soldiers on the battlefield. So we need folks to be able to come in, safely do their work, go home and have great lives here in Hartford County, mm -hmm. in Cecil County. Um, so he sees it as a security priority, first of all, because security starts outside the gate where most of our workforce lives, um, but also a quality of life and, and a family issue um, because you know we've got folks right now who work at APG we're dealing with the opioid crisis directly. And if I can, I'll give you a quick story. Sure. You know, someone who's a, a, a pretty close colleague we work day to day with uh, came into my office. This is going back uh, about a year or so ago in absolute tears. And, you know, it was really unusual. And her brother had overdosed the night before down in Baltimore oh. City. This is not uncommon right. for the workforce at, at APG, um, the soldiers and civilians who work there are being directly affected by this. So General Taylor knows that through MRICD at the uh, ECBC, the Edgewood uh, Chemical Biological Center uh, down at APG South, formerly Edgewood Arsenal, um, uh, at the Public um, Health Center, Army Public Health Center, and within our own emergency services, we have just this wealth of knowledge. So why not marry that up with the people who are also engaged at the state and the local levels to uh, to try to find some solutions. Well, well that's uh, that's great. T talk to us about the disposal pouches that um, um, the, the drug disposal bags. It is a great initiative that that started last year, and uh, and actually Colonel Brown led the effort. 
Yeah, so I will uh, share share that information. It was a really great initiative. Uh, General Taylor uh, had me as the lead. He after that event actually was I had done enough of a good job that he has me as the liaison for all uh, opioid related matters dealing with APG. But basically, the good news is the bad. Good news is you hit it out of the park. The bad news is you hit it out of the park. <laughs> exactly. So I have been full force ahead uh, with uh, with the initiatives, but. But let me just paint a picture for you. So let's um, let's talk about Mabel. She's 70 years old. She just uh, she's in recovery from a total knee replacement. Went well. She's a spunky gal. Uh, she was given by her surgeon some Percocet, which is a common prescription after surgery. Want to help with pain control. Will be the spunky gal that she is. She was out and about. Didn't really need all that Percocet, so she left it in her medicine cabinet and, uh, you know, was going to go play bridge with her, uh, her friends. And uh, her nephew comes over and he's been battling some addiction and goes to the bathroom, starts snooping in the medicine cabinet. And what do you know? Percocet there for him to take. And um, Mabel, she just doesn't pay attention much to, you know, every medication. She's got a few prescribed, so she doesn't even notice. And out goes that Percocet. Uh, so often, you know, the older population, they, they don't always have easy accessibility to drive to a take-back uh, location. Right. Right. So they are kind of stuck with this medication. Well, these pouches are a safe uh, way to dispose of medication. It's easy for anyone. So all you do is you open the pouch, you put your pills in there, add a little bit of water, and it... De, um, it neutralizes uh, the medication and then you throw it away and it's not going to hurt the seagulls or anybody else so it's the environment is taken into consideration uh, so when we heard about these pouches when General Taylor heard about how um, how they can be an added benefit to how you get rid of your medications he said Jody I have an opportunity for you. Would you like to take it on? And I, of course, said, yes, sir. What can I do for you? So he told me that there were 100,000 pouches that Lidos had um, funded from DTERA, who are the, the folks that make these pouches. And he said, I need us to get them out in the community. I need you to be that lead. So with the efforts of the Maryland National Guard, they are amazing, uh, we were able to... And two forums be able to, so 100,000 total, but 90,000 of them went across 20 different counties in the state of Maryland. Wow. Yes, amazing. That is. And then that day, so that morning, trucks are rolling out, just envision pallets of these pouches um, on the roads of Maryland. And then simultaneously that day, uh, we had... Cecil County, Baltimore City, Harford County, and Kent County who came to the Discovery Fest where there was a bunch of local community members there uh, and we broadcasted the pouch, we showed how it's used and we um, gave additional pouches out and so very quickly, 100,000 pouches were distributed throughout the uh, community. So Mabel, Mabel's got a way to be able to dispose of those medications now. And her nephew, you know, Jimmy, he's not going to get his hands on them. So that's how that all came about. And it, we all know what that could begin, be beginning for Jimmy. Mm -hmm. um, and that is certainly on the avoidable 
spectrum. Right, right. It's really it, that's it's really amazing. Talk about uh, where the uh, I, the medical and, and I guess the, the the clinical aspect of this meets with the, the social, um, and uh, so much of this because I'm involved on the uh, on recovery and the education. Of, I'm on the board of a, a recovery um, effort. Um, so much there's so many barriers to treatment. Um, it seems because. Uh, one of one of our girls, girls. I mean, this <laughs> woman could 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 beat up ten tigers. And, um, She's a woman. Um, but it started when she was fourteen. She was actually cutting herself, uh, and it turned uh, to pot and alcohol, and then into opioids. And she was luckily in recovery by the time she was eighteen and a half, and now she's been sober, and she's one of our senior staffers but she would always say that her parents didn't know how to handle it they didn't know what addiction was they didn't they didn't it was delinquency maybe it was it was just feeling her oats and rebelliousness mm -hmm. rebelliousness mm -hmm. and people just naturally are in denial because they don't want to a admit that it's happening to a loved one of theirs because they assume, they're going to blame themselves and they shouldn't because this is a disease um, so, and that's the biggest challenge one of the biggest challenges is can, is awareness and acceptance and facing it especially in middle school now and and younger and there's a lot of barrier to that talk about that so the the awareness uh, as you've correctly stated is our biggest problem how do we make people aware how do we let the community know and uh, when this first summit came about, I don't know if that was uh, one of the driving forces, but that's what came out of it. Uh, after the first summit, we uh, formed uh, somewhat of a leadership type council of uh, some of us in the military with some of the community leaders, uh, Joe Ryan being one of the uh, uh, more, uh, more visible folks that we deal with. Uh, and through that group, We've been able to uh, get into the community, uh, join in creating this awareness. And we've done it through uh, small things. We uh, brought some soldiers to the Boys and Girls Club uh, that Joe Ryan asked us about and let them talk with the kids about, hey, you know, we know opioids are out there, but uh, look what you can do if you uh, avoid the opioids. Uh, and then talk about all the fun we have in the military. And we've, uh, we've looked into programs that we can uh, bring to the community. And we've started talking with some of the school folks. So Bring the Awareness to the Community uh, came out of that first summit. And then the summit itself brings awareness mm -hmm. because we're here talking to you today. Uh, the newspapers uh, ran articles about the last summit. And the more that we get that out there, the more the you know, that uneducated uh, community member on the opioids will understand that, you know, this is a disease. It's not uh, something to hide in the closet. And if I can actually add, uh, so when Colonel Kimbler uh, is talking about that, that group of folks within Aberdeen and the communities, it's an advisory kind of task force, if you will. Uh, and one of the initiatives that's being launched right now and will be talked about at this summit is 
called Communities That Care. And when we talk about the opioid crisis, prevention is such a huge piece of it, but a lot of it is just scared on awareness. And we really have to be able to take it one step further into impacting what what kind of outcomes are we going to get and prevention is tough because it's it takes time it's not a quick fix people don't see the results as quickly and that makes it tough to say I'm gonna put my funding towards something I might not see the results of so this is evidence-based program that is data driven with specified outcomes. So what they do is, and it's all volunteers within our community. So we have uh, leaders that will volunteer. General Taylor's one of them that's coming on board. Uh, and then we have working groups that we're the doers. We're, you know, they're the folks that are gonna um, do the survey in the school to see, you know, what are the risk factors um, and the protective factors that are actually driving this particular population with, you know, middle school kids so that they can look in their database and say, okay, these programs have been found effective and let's go ahead and try to get them as the focus within the community so that we can actually change the way that the kids are thinking. The, when you talked about the parents not knowing how to talk to the kids, those kinds of things will be discussed so that the teachers know how to handle school-age kids. Because here's the sad fact, that eight-year-old knows about drugs now. They're actually seeing a 10-year-old smoking marijuana. So if you can actually educate them and actually involve them in programs that will change their future, then that's really going to be the the driving force. And so Aberdeen and Hartford County is the is where we're going to launch this. So I'm really excited about what's going to come about. It's very new. It takes a lot of time, but um, Colonel Kimbler and myself are part of the team, and uh, it's 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 going places. So. Good. Yeah. And just to remind folks out there, we're talking to Lieutenant Lieutenant Colonel Jody Brown, the commander of Kirk U.S. Army Health Clinic. Um, Colonel Donald Kimbler, who was the deputy chief of the chemical chemical casualty division. Now you have me doing it, Leslie. Oh, don't blame me. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> and Rick Scavetta, who is uh, Army SeaCom and APG community relations officer. And we're talking about um, uh, is it the second annual? Uh, it is. Okay, yeah, December eleventh, yeah. uh, National Opioid Community Summit. Uh, how do folks find out more about it? First of all, and uh, do they have to register or get tickets, et cetera? So we've inviting we've been inviting um, folks who have, um, as we say, some skin in the game. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and there's there's three different working groups, and probably Colonel Brown uh, has the details, the best details on who we're inviting and and what they're going to be doing there. Right. I mean, we are inviting a variety of people because just like Rick has said, it impacts everyone. So from healthcare providers to the first responders to school teachers, superintendents, you name it, they're getting an invitation. And so we're using uh, the community leaders to even help further with the invitation. So we're spreading the word the best that we can. We're going to have Dr. Adams, our United States Surgeon General, as our keynote 
loudspeaker, and I can't tell you how over the moon excited I am to hear him speak. He is so dedicated to really being involved in this opioid crisis, and for him to take the time to come this way and be our keynote speaker is just going to be dynamic. And uh, we will be the working groups. We broke it down into that prevention, so how do we do the community outreach, communities that care will be a main focus, that intervention group that is being led by my deputy for clinical services, Dr. Bastinelli, that will be more the healthcare providers, the physician, the nurses, the scientists, those type of people that have that skin in the game. How do we prevent that prescription from ever even being made? Is there an alter alternative yeah. option? Um, and then those that are prescribing, what uh, are we doing to uh, hold people accountable that are not prescribing appropriately? And then on diversion, you know, how, how to prevent uh, the medications from getting in the wrong hands. And then our last group is that um, the EMS local responders, that's Mike Slayman, my chief of EMS, who will be uh, talking more about the canines and, you know, some of the working dogs, uh, mm -hmm. law enforcement, some of the challenges, the gaps in how we are affecting um, the community. And I think that it's going to be really some great subject matter experts that are going to be around the table. One of the things we're talking with General Taylor is he wanted to make sure that this summit wasn't just a one time, we hear what's going on, thank you for coming, drop the mic kind of thing. No, he wants an action plan. He wants to know what's going to continue to happen. So each of the working groups will have an action plan. We will keep the initiative going and be able to ensure that the community subject matter experts stay in touch as we determine uh, where the gaps are and how we need to move forward as a community to uh, impact the crisis. And, and to add to that, something that came from the last one, uh, from Mike Slayman's group uh, in the last Opioid Summit, they went back with uh, their group and uh, it, they developed partnerships and collaborations. And one of the thing that they, things that they noticed was that in the dispatchers, dispatchers, that's that first voice when there's an emergency. And they are the, the life-saving voice that the person calls to. And they noticed that they may not know how to uh, properly assess an opioid person from a trauma person because they deal with heart attacks and they deal with car accidents and sure. things like that. Mm -hmm. So they got their group together and they developed a uh, simplified universal protocol that will help the dispatchers. So from the last summit, we've changed the protocol of the dispatchers so that they can better recognize opioid problems, mm -hmm. better assist the person that is calling, and then get the person the help that they need. Uh, and then uh, Colonel Brown had talked about uh, the canine stuff. and. Uh, from the beginning, you know, Rick had said that was one of the genesis of getting the uh, opioid summit. Well, MRICD was able to collaborate with uh, UPenn on a working dog study because everyone knows that we bring the working dogs with us, but what do we do if they get exposed? What, if, what do we do if they go down? Well, the study looked at using Narcan intranasally and uh, intramuscularly on the canines as well. Mm -hmm. And this, the results are still being compiled because it's only a year out from the last summit. But that uh, it's clear that Narcan works on the canines as well. And we can save the canine partners 
and maybe not affect their ability to continue to work as well. So some great stuff came out of that last summit to springboard us forward into this second one. Yeah, and, and you're making a lot of points, uh, great points uh, uh, you both made. Well, one, one of them is that a, a, a dispatcher is dealing with a call coming in, and often the person who's making the call is scared to death they're going to get in trouble. Right. Or their friend who's laying there dying is going to get in trouble, and they're not they're not prioritizing that, uh, et cetera. And that's that could be a, a huge barrier to to getting info. And, it, it, so, what what advice would it, if if someone is calling in, like if I'm calling in, I'm standing next to someone who clearly has has overdosed. Um, what what could I do while the uh, responders get there. What would I be told? So that that the dispatcher will help you assess the situation, but if uh, the if you wanted to be more prepared, if you know someone that has opioids, go to the website Get Narcan Now. Uh, at that website, they'll provide some education, and then they'll allow you to go to a a, a small class in person with someone mm -hmm. and they'll provide you the education on how to administer Narcan and they'll actually provide you methods of getting Narcan so that you could have okay. it with you uh, and that was one of the things that came from the last summit as well uh, the folks from get Narcan now came and said hey you know we can help the population no one knows about us so wow. we talked to all of the EMS <coughs> guys and we talked to all of the first responders the police officers and let them know that this is another resource out there and the great thing about Narcan is, is knowing that you can give it to someone that might not be overdosing and that's okay. So I think we need to spread that awareness and that education to people that don't, don't second guess yourself. Just administer it. It's okay. Because the worst thing mm. you're going to do is give them Narcan they didn't need. But from a scientific standpoint, it's not going to cause any um, medical or medical standpoint, it's not going to cause any harm. Yes. And it's so easy to administer uh, that if you were to grab some from someone, even without a class, you could very quickly be able to uh, to put the, the cap on the Narcan and administer it intranasally. It's really, really easy. And uh, the person's not going to be happy that you're doing that because it's going to take away their high, but you will save their life. Just uh, absolutely uh, amazing, and the, the, the depth of this and the, the breadth of it, uh, and as you all mentioned, it's touched everyone, and it, this is, uh, we've we had such a long way to go, and we still do, but thank goodness for what uh, really what's been mustered uh, uh, among a lot of the different uh, agencies and institutions. Um, and thank you for that. Um, on that note, to, uh, to make it more personal, tell us, you, you were involved in something that I don't think anyone could ever get used to. You're uh, dealing with trauma, dealing with uh, 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 responding to someone who is... Um, who's been injured um, or is, is something is life-threatening. I'm sure you never get used to that. Um, but what could you tell our listeners as, uh, what do you know now that 
you wish you knew when you were first starting? What have you learned about having being able to keep your keep your cool while you're trying to to manage these situations, to combine the science and the treatment with the treatment, and then also you're adding a role for yourselves in that you're communicating with all of us and helping us understand it. I know that's a very nebulous question. So I, I think uh, Colonel Brown hit the nose on the head with, uh, in combination with what you said. First, in any emergency situation, as long as you don't panic, you're going to be okay, uh, generally. So uh, what I know now, if I were to tell someone, I come across someone that's down, first, make sure that I'm safe. If I'm in the middle of the road, I don't want to start taking care of someone when another car can hit me. So I need to make sure that I'm safe, just like, you know, in the airplane when they tell you put your mask on sure. before you put someone else's yeah. mask on. Yeah. Take care of myself, and then I can take care of the, uh, the person that's there. So remaining calm, very, very important. And then secondly, uh, administering Narcan. Most all of us have used some sort of nasal spray. Sure. That's all that Narcan is, is just a simple nasal spray. So if I can give myself a nasal spray, I can give that person there uh, na that nasal spray of Narcan. Uh, and as uh, Colonel Brown said, it's okay to give it to them. If, if you're wrong, it's okay, you're not gonna hurt them. Uh, and if you're wrong, you're doing something while help is on the way. Sure. And most likely, you're going to be right and you're gonna be able to take them, take care of them. And when you give the Narcan, they'll start breathing again. And that's a great thing. And I, and I just to echo Colonel Kimbler, I kind of tell people, it's like with CPR, my husband, is it 15 and two, is it 30 and two? When do I give the breath? I said, just take your, fit, your hands and you give compressions, you give deep compressions. And if that's all you remember, that's okay. Cause that's really the main thing I want you to do. Uh, don't worry about the breath. If you can't remember it, then compression. So I think um, simplifying it as much as you can for the for the common person that doesn't do this day in and day out. Just keep it keep it simple. Um, I'm a very simple person, and I think when we add too many layers in a the the military teaches us that because in those stressful environments, you just need to be able to react, and you need to make it as simple as possible so that what you do makes a difference. And so. You, you nailed it there, uh, Colonel Kimbler. Absolutely. Rely on the training. And that, that's what, you know, even in combat, that's what it all comes down to is as you go back to the steps that you trained again and again. You know, and the other thing I want to make a point real quick is, is that this isn't just us reaching out to the community. One of the great things that we came across in, in building this coalition is, um, you know, this gem that we have here in Hartford County, which is, the Office of Drug Control Policy um, and, and what they do. And for many years, um, Mr. Ryan's been sending his staff to APG. Now, speaking of training, every year we have to go through substance abuse and prevention training. It's a required course. To be honest with you, sometimes we dread going to it because it's PowerPoint presentations right. that talk about you know, very specific things about drugs and alcohol, and, and it's an awareness thing. But the thing that we do different here at APG is the Office of Drug Control Policy sends in their experts. And they, for, so in the last five or six years, we're talking thousands of hours, they've offered to APG soldiers and civilians who have to take this training. And what they do is they give us real anecdotal stories. They don't use names, mm -hmm. but it's stuff that's happened right here in Hartford County. Um, it happens on our streets and our neighborhoods and whatnot. 
And that, I think, is probably what gets folks in our mindset to go, how do I go on that website? How do I administer Narcan? Hey, this is important because this is happening, you know, not in some far-fetched place, but right outside the gate. Right. And because of the Office of Drug Control Policy doing that community inreach, it, it raises our awareness level and makes us go to those websites and, and find the answers so we can be more helpful if there was a, a situation. Yeah, it had to really go off to, to Joe and uh, Amber. Yes. Uh, shows who runs community services and County Executive Glassman. Uh, they've, they they get involved in so many cases. As and in addition, the awareness and what mm -hmm. they do to help leverage their knowledge and experience through a lot of agents like yourself. And actually, for the working groups, uh, Joe Ryan and Tara Lothrop, they are the leads. So they are very much involved in the summit, and we are such a united team, it has really just been beneficial. It's, it's a good working uh, partnership. The, the programs recognize not just here in Hartford County, but the surrounding counties quite often turn to Joe and his team mm -hmm. when they need information. Um, it's known nationwide, actually, Hartford County's program. And of course, everything that we do is in concert with them. They are the leads. Um, and also, uh, at the state level, Mr. Clay Stamp, and the folks um, that Governor Hogan and Lieutenant Governor Rutherford have put together for the uh, State Opioid Task Force. Um, so we work hand in hand with them and be as supportive as we can. Clay's a uh, great, um, uh, and talk to what you were talking about, uh, Colonel, is four things we need to work on. Elevate and maintain the conversation, focus our energy, uh, develop data-driven precision, and persevere. Absolutely. Absolutely. And is it true that the best thing to remember in giving CPR is to do it to the beat of staying alive? Yes. 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 It's either staying alive or... Another one bites the dust. Another one bites the dust. We like okay. staying alive better, but yes. if you're having a, yes. having a down and out day, okay. <laughs> another one bites the dust would be... Uh, uh, two different messages there. Right? Well, <laughs> Very much so. Well, if, if you ever watch The Office with Michael Scott, yes. have you seen that yes. scene, the CPR we, we use, scene? We use that to teach. <laughs> oh, my God. That's an awesome scene. He's because they said She he said, is. do you know staying alive? So he started doing the Gloria Gaynor song, I Will Survive. Once I Was Afraid. Uh, <laughs> He's a hoot. And then Dwight, one of the Harvest oh, the yes. Organs. Uh -huh. <laughs> that show. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> that was, that was, might be one of the best two minutes. Uh, <laughs> um, okay, let's, uh, Leslie, uh, let's, uh, naturally we've covered so much. Tell us uh, what's coming up at the library. Speaking of institutions that get so much done day absolutely, in, day out. Absolutely, absolutely. And I, you know, just going back to the drug pouches, we distribute them at all of our branches. So if any listeners are interested in getting them, um, every branch has a supply. You can go on hcplonline.org. Let us know that you need them. We'll get them to you. Um, Thank you for sharing them. Oh, of course, of course. And they really are... Um, a very popular item. We have them in a basket at the circulation desk, and people are like, "Wow!" Because people don't know what to do with it. You yes. know, they don't know what to do with it. With and flushing the medication down the toilet is not a good idea. Yeah, so yeah, this is yeah. a really and these a great are free way. Folks, you can get as many as you need. Um, it's very easy to to join this. We all need to do our part. Yes. So if this is a way you can do your part, jump in and do it. And um, 
we'll all take good care of each other. So on to awesome things at the library. So December 1st is Saturday, believe it or not. No, it's not. Yes, it is, Paul. It's like April, <laughs> mid-May now. I feel like By I just way, celebrated New Year's Eve. And seriously. It's almost yes. a year. Is yes. it good that I'm sick of winter and it's still 20 days away? That is not good. <laughs> it's going to be a long, fri long Fridays for us, Bob. That'll be our opening segment every Friday now. Okay. The snow. So we have a quite a few open houses coming up at some of our branches. So um, there's a schedule on HCPL online.org. The open houses are filled with music and snacks and just getting everybody into the holiday cheer. Um, we have a really interesting uh, program coming up at Have a De Grace on um, uh, it's a genealogy lock-in and genealogy is one of our most popular programs. That's not Barbara Eden's ob -Gyne. No, no, no. Not that genealogy. Genealogy <laughs> with a G. That was good. <laughs> <laughs> it's a genealogy lock-in, and um, it's from 4.30 to 9, and the library closes, and it's just for genealogy enthusiasts, and they spend time researching and using. We have a million resources online, some really awesome resources. We have a military resource that that lets you search military records, so check that out. Um, and then on uh, Monday, December 3rd, we have a Deck the Halls. This is part of our Choose Civility Hartford County initiative. Um, take a minute to write a few kind words, make an ornament, and then we're going to deliver the ornaments to retirement homes and nursing homes around the county to help them decorate their tree. That's supported by our Edgewood Friends of Hartford County Public Library. Each of our branches has a friends group associated with it. They are amazing people. They raise so much money for the library and help us do all these wonderful things. So um, if you're interested in that, again, there's information at hcplonline.org, and we're always looking for new Friends members, and it's really fun and really rewarding. Awesome. Yeah. Fantastic. Good well, stuff. Well, we have had uh, Lieutenant Colonel Jody Brown and uh, Colonel Donald Kimbler and uh, Rick Scavetta with us. We've talk been talking about the National Opioid Summit, uh, which is coming up a week from Tuesday. Yes. December 11th. Be December there or 11th. be square. And thank you to uh, County Executive Glassman for uh, his teamwork. Uh, certainly Major General Randy Taylor. Uh, Absolutely. For, for just... His he doesn't passion. do anything halfway, does he? Oh, heavens no. <laughs> no. He does it with a smile on his face. He's always yes. pleasant. As yeah. we're all running around with our, like a chicken with our heads cut off. We're going to get it done, sir. We promise. <laughs> and he very calmly, uh, um, he's got a very even keel, at least outwardly. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I'm sure there's yes. 85 ducks feet underneath going crazy. <laughs> yes. So thank you to Major General uh, uh, He's, a, he's amazing. And you'll see him at the library, I think, coming up in just about a month or so. Uh, he, he one in? of the things he uh, tends to do, and I'm almost sure he's going to do again yes. this year, is... I have a question. I wanted to ask you about that, so that's exciting. Is, uh, yeah, he likes to come out for the Fairy Tale Festival. He mm -hmm. came out last year and read to the children. Mm -hmm. um, and I believe it's on his schedule. I could probably confirm, but uh, I know that he's very interested in supporting the libraries whenever he can. Excellent, and we have expanded that uh, program this year. It's Fairy Tale and Superhero Festival. Ooh. So coming. you're coming, <laughs> all right? DJ's in. He's gonna have his costume on. His it is absolutely 
a wonderful day. Yeah. Um, yeah. Had a great time last year. It, yeah. and, and it just is a great day. So if you can come out, it's uh, Friday, January 18th. Uh, we're actually going to open the library early at 9 o'clock. It's for children. It's for adults. Everyone comes dressed up. It is just a party all day long. We have STEM activities going on. We have arts and crafts. We have music, and it's all centered around fairy tales and superheroes. Can so we play Beam? You yes, Beam is going to be open, Bob. Okay. And everyday superheroes, policemen, firemen, not just, you know, the Marvel comics, but everyday ah. superheroes, too. Awesome. So we are really, really excited about this year's program. We're looking forward to it. I am so glad he's coming. I was looking over the list yesterday, and I'm like, I'm going to ask Rick tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys, that's all the time we have for the Hartford Edge. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk with you next week. Plays on WAMD Aberdeen.